The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here. And on this week's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm excited to have a very special guest, author of the new book, The New Chardonnay, which I have right here, and award-winning journalist, former ABC News correspondent, Heather Cabot. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to chat about the book and to share a little bit of your story. If you wouldn't mind, can you please tell the folks a little more about yourself? Well, first of all, Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, this has been a project in the making for more than three years. I actually started working on this book right after the release of my previous book, Geek Girl Rising. Um, and this book was actually inspired by that project. Uh, that book looked at the sisterhood of Silicon Valley and the women agitating for a seat at the table in the innovation economy. Um, so my background really is I've been a journalist, uh, worked in broadcasting uh, for many years in local news. Uh, then I was at the network, as you said. Um, I went on to Yahoo, where I uh, served as the uh, digital lifestyle editor and did all of their national media appearances until about 2012. And that's when I transitioned into uh, long form uh, journalism, long form writing, uh, nonfiction books. And, um, and I also became a contributor for Forbes as well. And I've been writing about um, women, um, gender equality, innovation, startups, entrepreneurship, uh, venture capital, pretty much since uh, you know, 2012, 2013 is when I initially got into this area. Although, you know, in terms of working for Yahoo, that was kind of my initial um, introduction to the world of Silicon Valley. And that was an amazing background and ended up inspiring all of these projects. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that background. I, I don't know if you know my background, but we actually have quite a bit in common because I also went from Silicon Valley into cannabis and, and media. What made you decide to write a book about the cannabis world? Well, as I mentioned, I had been working on Geek Girl Rising and it, there's a chapter in that book that looks specifically at feminist financiers. That's what we call them, that's the name of the chapter. And it's, it's basically about female angel investors and venture capitalists who have been investing in women-led tech startups. And a number of those women I had stayed in touch with through the course of the reporting. Um, and I had done some of my own angel investments as well um, in women-led companies. And you know, I noticed that some of them were investing in cannabis startups. And it really surprised me because it was really not my world. And um, as I often say, you know, I grew up in the Just Say No generation. I grew up in the 80s. And so you know, cannabis was really not part of my world. It was very taboo. Um, and I just thought it was fascinating that these people that I really regarded as very straight laced with these Wall Street credentials and, you know, I just Ivy League degrees, like I just didn't understand why they would want to invest in an industry that was federally illegal. And um, so I started making some phone calls and started just around trying to get a sense of what the opportunities were what were these companies these various women were looking at and um, I had 
you know, kind of a fateful conversation with a woman named Jean Sullivan, who I'm sure you know from Arcview, um, who's a, you know, well-known uh, mainstream investor uh, who now invests in cannabis and is, you know, quite a, was quite a pioneer. Um, and she said to me, listen, if you really want to understand this, if you're really serious about doing a project on this, you have to go to MJ BizCon. You have to go out to Vegas, get a ticket, and just walk the floor. Go, well, go to the expo, go to the seminars, go, go, you know, go listen to the keynotes and start to meet people in the industry. And she said, look, that's really the only, she actually said, a phone call is really not going to initiate you into all of the things that you need to understand about this super complicated um, sector. And so I decided to do that. And um, along the way I started, I had asked Forbes if I could start covering cannabis as part of, you know, I was already writing about women in, um, in tech. So I said, well, I'd love to start writing about women in cannabis. And so I, I had done a few of those pieces before I went to the convention. Um, but other than the few women that I'd interviewed, I didn't know anyone there at all, which actually I think was fantastic because I went in with completely fresh eyes. I, I truly was a voyeur. And I have to say that that really made me realize that most of America really doesn't understand how the industry has evolved. And I mean, they read about these multi-billion dollar companies, but they don't really understand how they were built and how complicated um, these various markets are and the regulation and compliance and the professionalization of the whole industry that's really happened in less than a decade. Um, and so that sort of formed the seed of the idea for the book proposal. And I worked on it for about a year uh, and then I sold the proposal to Penguin Random House uh, in the summer of 2018, and we were off. Amazing. So I, first of all, I want to shout out Gene Sullivan, who is an icon, not only in the cannabis world, but in the world of business, uh, a pioneer, as you said. And every time I've heard Gene speak at events, she always fires me up. I, it's a great reminder that I need to bring her onto this show. So thank you for that. And I want to ask you, um, was it tough to get this book sold? Was there, was there any stigma from publishers or any pushback around, oh, cannabis, you know, or, or the opposite, were they enthusiastic because cannabis is very hot right now or has been hot for several years? Well, I mean, I think, you know, there have been other books and, and, you know, they, I would say that it, it, we sold it pretty fast. Um, we, we did have a fair amount of interest, with, which was exciting. But I also think that the fact that I was coming at it, you know, as a journalist from legacy media, um, you know, that I had have, you know, that I have the credentials that I do have, which I, I also didn't mention earlier is that I'm on the alumni board at Columbia Journalism School. Um, and I was an adjunct there for a period of time. So I think having the journalism credentials coming in and, and I think the, the editors realizing that this was not an advocacy book that I really wanted to cover this objectively. I think, you know, was a, was a big selling point. And the fact that the characters in the book um, are people, you know, other than Snoop Dogg, I mean, they're, they're people that they hadn't heard about before. So there were, so there was, a, I was really offering them exclusive access to a world that a lot of people have not really had a ton of access to. 
Um, but again, through the eyes of not an activist or an advocacy person, or, you know, I, I'm just really a fly on the wall. And that's, um, and I think they found that interesting. Awesome. And I, I want to go back to one thing that you shared, which I, I'm going to say, if Gene Sullivan gives you advice about cannabis, you take it. And it sounds <laughs> yeah. like the, the, the advice that she gave you was, you have to show up. And for anyone who's listening or watching and considering getting into the industry or into the community or, or just being a part of it, you know, showing up is half the battle, which of course, given the state of the world right now is a little trickier, uh, sure. But, you know, I think it, it's important to be where the industry is and to go there, go to the big conferences and see the people who are actually in it if you want to participate. So. You know, you've really dove in and, and you got to spend, uh, I believe you said a couple of years traveling around, meeting with people, following their stories. And I, I didn't get a chance to read the entire book, but from what I read of it, you know, you, you had some really wild and interesting, fun adventures. So I'm curious if you could share maybe a favorite story or two or memory of, of, as you were writing the book and you know, experiences that, that you got to partake in due to cannabis? Well, I think one, I mean, there are so many. And again, because I was going in with fresh eyes and really without a particular point of view other than the fact that I didn't know anything, um, everything was kind of an adventure, like literally everything. Um, but I, some of the highlights, um, you know, certainly going up to Smith's Falls um, and, seeing the town that was brought back to life by uh, Tweed and ultimately Canopy Growth, going inside the old Hershey's factory and seeing how it was transformed into this massive corporation and the way they incorporated the history of the Hershey's factory, um, which was really, um, I, the, the way they did it, I think w w it really pays homage to the community um, and what was there before. And, you know, you'll read about that in the book, about, you know, what the Hershey's factory meant to that community and how devastated they were um, when it when it left, uh, along with a number of other um, businesses. And it was a town that was really struggling with tough times. And, um, you know, it was just kind of serendipity that it worked out that uh, the timing was right. Um, so that was that was really amazing. And I spent time with the mayor there. I spent time meeting um, local residents. Uh, I actually went and visited twice. I was there. It was interesting. I, I went actually with Ted Chung, who's Snoop Dogg's business partner. That was actually how I got introduced to Bruce Linton. Um, and uh, who was most of your I'm sure audience knows is the founder of and former CEO of Canopy Growth. Um, but he, um, Ted, you know, invited me up and invited to invited me to go on a tour with a bunch of investors and meet with Bruce. Um, and when I was there, they were just building this visitor center. And you'll know, read in the book about how this visitor center, which used to be the highlight of the Hershey's factory for all of these tourists that would come from all over Canada, they would go and they would, they would be able to get like samples and like broken chocolate bars. And it was like a really big deal. And they would have school buses of kids that would come. And anyway, so one of Bruce's visions was to refashion that into kind of like a museum slash visitor center for cannabis. And, um, 
you know, where you would just learn about the plant and learn the science and um, learn about the history of the place. And so I, the first time I was there with Ted, the construction was still going on. And it was just so interesting. Like they showed us like the, the literally like the railroad tracks that used to bring in the, um, the milk and the, you know, the cocoa beans and all the stuff from, and it was literally like, I mean, I refer to Bruce in the book as the Willy Wonka weed. And it, I mean, it really felt that way because you saw these old, you know, these, and I described them in the book, these, you know, giant shiny silver containers that used to have the corn syrup. And so there's all these like, you know, remnants from the chocolate factory. And I was there, you know, walking the construction, he was pointing out what used to be there. And then I went back a year later and I got to actually see it after it was finished. And, um, and that was really neat. And the thing that was interesting was that even though it was his vision that one day people would be able to walk away with samples, that wasn't even possible. They couldn't even sell anything there. They couldn't even, they, they had like a, um, a coffee bar. And um, so you could just get like a cappuccino or something, but they couldn't, and, and they actually had some like unmedicated chocolate bars because they had just done a deal with a very famous um, chocolate company. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was a, a, a chocolate company that people know in Canada. And so you could buy the chocolate bars, but they, you know, they, they didn't have anything, they didn't have any cheap THC or CBD in them um, because the province wasn't allowing, they didn't have a retail license yet. So it's sort of interesting to be there and see this beautiful museum that they had unveiled, but they they couldn't really, and they didn't, and there weren't any tourists there actually when I was there. So, and it was two weeks before he was fired from the company as well, which was really interesting. It was being with him, walking the site with him, sitting down with him, and then you know I heard like everybody else on CNBC when. He was when he was ousted so that was kind of interesting so that that was that that was a great um adventure um that was a long story i don't know if you want me to tell anymore there are so many <laughs> no I, I love that and i'm i'm curious you know you mentioned that going into this you were you had a beginner's mind you were uninitiated and now you're very much, you know, if you're walking the the canopy growth chocolate factory with Bruce Linton and Ted Chung, you're pretty initiated. It doesn't get much more <laughs> yeah. inner inner circle than that. So I'm wondering, what were some of your personal biggest takeaways from this whole journey, and maybe some of the biggest surprises or most shocking discoveries in diving into this cannabis world? Well, first of all, as a complete newbie and, you know, for the record, I'm not a cannabis consumer. So I didn't know, like most, honestly, like most people in the rest of the country that don't follow this closely, I didn't know anything about extracts. I didn't know anything about concentrates. I didn't know, I mean, I had heard of, of edibles, right? But I didn't understand how they were made. And I didn't understand the market I didn't understand the relationship between vaping and extracts. I didn't know what dabbing was. I didn't know any of these things. And, and I will say, you know, that, that knowledge, it was funny, like by the time I finished the book, I obviously learned about all of that and was very initiated into it. And every single character in the book actually based on their storylines, it, it, it touches concentrates. It touches, you know, and, and I explained for a mainstream audience, 
what they are, how they're made. And I mean, if you just think about even like Beth Stavola, I mean, she's the founder of MPX, Melting Point Extracts. And so there was a whole learning curve that I had to have when I was trying to understand about how these products are made, how potent they can be. And then also just, I didn't understand, you know, like most of most people in the world, I didn't know anything beyond THC and CBD. I didn't know what cannabinoids were. I didn't know that they could be extracted and that these other products could be made and that the, do the doses could be, um, you know, finely tuned. I didn't understand that. And that was something I really wanted to explain to the audience because I think to understand where, where this country is going, where the world is going. And you can see, I mean, Canada is perfect example of, of, you know, Bruce talks about this in the book that the illicit market was light years ahead in terms of extracts, but the licensed producers were not allowed to sell them initially. And it went all the way to the highest court in Canada for them to finally be able to um, do R&D on those products and ultimately sell them. And as you know, those products are only just starting to be on the market now. And at the time when I was speaking with, with Bruce, I mean, he, he really talked about that as a challenge for the, for the legal industry to have to try to catch up from an innovation point of view um, to, to this, you know, this market that, that and, and, and the consumers that were already um, used to those products and wanted those products. And so to, how do you compete with that when you're hamstrung and you're not allowed to, um, first of all, to develop them, then to actually sell them. And then now it's the whole distribution question, right? So, so that was a big surprise for me because I just didn't understand that. Um, you know, obviously I did not understand, as I said before, I didn't, I didn't know what cannabinoids were. I didn't know about the endocannabinoid system. I, I was very fortunate and I was able to interview um, Dr. Raphael Mishulam, which was amazing. And I had hoped to go to Israel. It just, it didn't work with my timing, but I did interview him and I interviewed another, another one of his colleagues from Hebrew University. Um, and that, it was a great privilege, obviously to talk with him, but also to be able to bring you know, boiled down some of his very complex research, again, for a mainstream audience that probably had never even heard of this before. Um, and then I would say the, the, the last thing, um, and this, this truly was, for your audience, I'm sure this is like nothing, but for me, coming from, you know, not coming from the subculture, not really participating in any of this, you know, I just wasn't really aware of the relationship between systemic racism and the war on drugs. Like I just didn't pay attention to it. And that is my fault. You know, that is certainly my fault. And that's actually one of the things that I'm really talking about a lot as I'm promoting this book, because I realize that, you know, I mean, I think of myself as a really educated person and I work in the news and it wasn't something that I made it wasn't something that I paid a huge, huge amount of attention to. And as I started to research this book and I started to see, frankly, the hypocrisy and the, the contradictions between who was making money hand over fist and who was getting the opportunities and the fact that there were people that are still either incarcerated and or, you know, their lives are ruined because of their of convictions for doing the same exact thing as these other folks over here who are, you know, creating generational wealth. Uh, that really just it, it disturbed me. And it, it became something that I, as I went through the, the re reporting and the writing process, I kept trying to sort of think about how do I tell that story? And um, so that, that was something that was surprising to me to, just because I just didn't know, I didn't know about it. I didn't know the history. I mean, I just, I didn't. And 
Um, and the other thing that I'll say, and I think anybody who reads this book will certainly uh, come away with understanding that that there, you know, there is a lot of um, inequity in in this industry now, and the the people who are at you know who are running these multi billion dollar publicly traded companies by and large they are white men, and there are many reasons for that. I think one of the biggest reasons is access to capital. Um, and, and that's why Beth Stavola for me was a really unique character because she could finance things herself and that, and she knows that, you know, and she, she recognizes that. And now, you know, in, in her next act, I think she, you know, she, she said to me and she said publicly that she really wants to help, um, support women and, and people of color going forward because there really is a, a great gap between, um, you know, the people who have been able to profit off this industry and the other folks that are really struggling and, and who don't even have a shot at applying for a license because they could never even dream of, you know, they don't have the network to even raise the funds just, just to apply. And I think that was the final thing that was surprising to me was the, I mean, there's so, there are so many surprises, but, but the amount of money that it takes to not just get the business off the ground, but literally to apply to do business legally. That just astounded me. And when you understand how much it costs to do that, then on top of the fact, okay, so there's the license, and I write about this book, there's the license, there's securing the real estate, there's, you know, I mean, political contributions, there's, you know, uh, community, um, uh, what do you call them, not community policing, but like, you know, community agreements that you have to make, you know, if you, if you get the license and you get the real estate, well, then you have to hire local cops and you have, there's so many layers. And I think most people from the outside have no idea. And um, so you can understand what, once you real once you look under the hood, you can understand why the people who have been able to capitalize on all of this are folks that um, have the type of network or the type of personal uh wealth that um you know where they, they have access to that kind of cash to be able to play and not many other people can absolutely and uh, as you said there's so much complexity and nuance and just fascinating things converging in this industry and yeah. you know I, I came into it similar similar to you as someone who didn't know really anything about it other the, the the distinction between us though is that I was a longtime consumer and I loved the plant and I had a, a a long relationship with it and I still didn't know any of you know the history the science and any of the stuff and also you know considered myself to be a well-informed educated person and you know when I actually learned a little bit of the stuff I realized how how privileged and ignorant I had been and, you know, I, I think it's really, really important that people understand, especially those who don't have a relationship with cannabis, understand the truth behind it. And I think when you, when you get even just the basic facts, it's very obvious, you know, it's not like what you're, it's funny because you, you, you began by telling me how you came at this being objective and really nonpartisan. And I think what, what's so remarkable about the truth 
is that if you, if you actually come look at it objectively, it becomes very obvious what's going on and what America's history is with cannabis and how you know, we have an institutionalized anti-cannabis stigma, which is very much intertwined with systemic racism and discrepancies in policing and all that stuff. And so I'm, I'm grateful to you that you took the time to not only educate yourself, but also to, to pass it along and, and, you know, share these stories in such a really beautiful, engaging, well-written way. And I, I, I want to ask you, who is this book for? Who's the intended audience uh, for this book? Who needs to read the this? The intended audience. Well, I think, I hope that I really wrote it for, I call it the Good Morning America audience. You know, I, I wrote it for, you know, people like me. I wrote it for, you know, my contemporaries. I wrote it for people who, you know, are. I'm a mom of teens. You know, I wrote it for people um, who are looking around and wondering how did this all happen and how do I, how do I make sense of this? How do I um, talk about it with my kids? How, I mean, I just, one of the things I've been saying a lot, I've been doing a lot of interviews in the last few days is um, researching this book gave me an amazing jumping off point to have great conversations with my kids and especially this summer um, with the, you know, the, the, the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests that we saw across the country. It was so wonderful to be able to have something that I had been working on to be able to kind of put things in context for them about what's happening in this country and this reckoning that we're having around race and white privilege and all of those things. And so I really, it's funny if you ask my kids what the book is about, you know, they'll, they'll say it's about criminal justice reform. You know, they'll say it's about that, you know, like it was, it was interesting because a lot of people have said, well, how did you write this book with teenagers at home, blah, blah, blah. And, and, um, you know, my kids actually were kind of embarrassed when I first started working on this, they were really like, they didn't want anyone to know, like they were like, you know, really, they didn't think it was cool at all. They were like, I can't believe mom is working on this. Um, and in fact, they would, they didn't want me to tell anyone that I was working on this. Um, but once I started having more conversations with them and pointing out things in the news where it related back to the injustices of the war on drugs, um, they really got it. And I think they're really proud of me. And it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. And I, you know, of course, we had we had the normal discussions about substance use and substance abuse and all of that, and it's I think they, it, it allowed us to have some really open, great conversations about that. But the the way we could talk about what was happening in society and what's happening in our country, our history of um, structural racism in this, this country, systemic racism and our legacy of slavery and all those things and how it relates to um, law enforcement, um, it was just it was just really meaningful to me that's beautiful so thank you for sharing that I, it's funny to me because you know traditionally it's like the teenagers don't want mom to know that they're using pot or, or engaging <laughs> with pot and and this in your situation it was like the other way around where you're not even using it but just well you they know, were young like, they were young too so they're only going into high school now but they uh, were they were in middle school so middle school you know definitely like you know they don't want to have mom knowing anything that's going on and they don't yeah. want to know what i'm doing and they just 
they, yeah, they absolutely, you know, it's a time when they're separating from you anyway, so they don't even really want you to be around. <laughs> but, um, you know, anyway, it, it was, it was, it's been a lot of fun for, you know, to be able to, and it's nice for them to see now that the book is out, you know, what's, what's happening and the speaking that I'm doing and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I remember when I was in middle school and I'm a product of the New York City public schools where, you know, we had the D.A.R.E. program and all that. And I swore yeah. I would never do marijuana. Drugs are bad. And look at me now. <laughs> but well, I, what I say to them is, you know, it's for adults. Because they've, they, they, they want to read the book. And I said, you know, it's for adults. Now, I've talked to them about medical cannabis. I've talked to them about Charlotte Figgy. You know, I've, I've explained to them that, you know, if it's prescribed by a doctor, that there are young people and you know I've talked to them about epidiolex they know that they're you know actually like fda approved you know there are there's a drug for this that um you know is can be prescribed by a doctor um that's fda approved so they they know they know all of that um they and they get the nuance of it i think that's what confuses a lot of americans frankly about this is that and, and at the same time that's where the market opportunity is but it's like it's confusing because there's medical, and I'm sure you know you hear this all the time. Somebody will say, "Well, I'm for medical cannabis, but I'm not for recreational." And what I saw, and what I write about in the book, was these brands kind of figured out. Well, if you if you start to market it as a wellness product, then you kind of you kind of capitalize on the acceptance of the use of it for medical. Um, and if you create products that are not intoxicating. Um, that don't feel as scary, to, or maybe they just feel more accessible to someone who maybe grew up at a time where this was like really taboo. You and you package it in a certain way, you can really tap into this new audience that um, the can of curious. And I think I think that's really what we've seen. You know, we've seen these brands get very savvy about um, women and older people and you know, and I write about that in the book about you know sort of the thinking around that um and I you know and and the fact that Snoop and Ted you know very early on they they decided that you know based on their research that the Chardonnay moms that was going to be a, a major um consumer group in the future and that came true and it, it was an evolution it was a fast evolution and I think you're going to continue to see that um in addition, you know, with the fact that, you know, once the farm bill was passed and now we're seeing CBD in, you know, mainstream retailers um, outside of the dispensary channel, I think um, you're just going to continue to see that. I'm, I'm observing this, this, you know, continued normalization. So um, anyway, I think that, that the whole branding and the marketing of it, I found really, really interesting too. But I think it's that, that convergence, you know, of medical and, and recreational and kind of how that, how that wellness piece fits in that's changing a lot of minds, I think. Absolutely. And I, I want to go back to the, the parenting dynamic for a second, because I'm mm -hmm. reminded, I did an event years ago on pot and parenting. And a friend of mine was on the panel and his, his teenage daughter actually came and spoke on the panel as well. Mm -hmm. And he shared some stories about, and, and this is the, you know, he's a successful cannabis entrepreneur, NYU Stern graduate, serial mm -hmm. entrepreneur before getting into mm -hmm. cannabis. And he talked about how 
when other parents found out what he did, you know, they didn't want to have him at the PTA meetings anymore. And some people didn't want their children interacting with his children. And of course, there were other people who really wanted to be his best friend now. And <laughs> so, so yeah. the, the question I have for you is, you know, for those folks who might still, you know, be influenced by the old propaganda or the old stigmas or taboos around cannabis, what do you say to those parents, especially about, you know, what do they need to know about cannabis users, whether it's for medical use, adult use, or, you know, the millions of shades of gray in between? Well, I mean, I don't really see it as my job to like convince, you know, I'm not, I'm not advocating for, you know, for consumption, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that it's not really part of my life other than as an interesting topic that I've covered. But what I will say, um, because people do ask me lots of questions, and they always think that I'm going to take a position on it and I don't. Um, but I do say that it's a lot more complicated than you realize. And I'm talking specifically just about consumption. And, and like we talked about earlier about extracts and, you know, th these other derivatives of, of cannabis. And, you know, most people don't really understand that. So as a parent, I think it's really important to educate yourself on the, the forms that are, are available and to get a better handle on understanding um, potency and overall usage. I, I just think as a parent, as we're starting to see more, I mean, just to give you an example, I'm sure you probably saw this, but the state of Colorado every year, there, um, there's a, the, the uh, state agencies that have to report to the legislature there on the status of what's happening. Um, and there was a report that came out last week, which is called the Healthy Kids Colorado Report that showed, um, I believe for the second year in a row, but a, but a larger spike that more high school students are dabbing and vaping than in the past. Some years they actually saw a decrease in cannabis usage among teens. Now you're seeing, again, the industry is evolving, the products are more sophisticated. And, and so the fact that kids are reporting that they're using these highly potent forms, I, you know, I think as a parent, you want to familiar yourself we want to familiarize yourself with what that is. It's the same thing with vaping, you know, when, when, with the vaping crisis too, like suddenly as a parent, you have to catch up. You have to understand what's going on. And I think that really there's, I, I haven't met anybody in the industry who's, who's, who has refuted the research that shows that, you know, cannabis usage, you know, when you still have a developing brain um, can be problematic. And, and so, you know, this is something for adults and, I just think as parents, we need to arm ourselves with, with, with good information and understand that as this is legalized, as it becomes not even legalized, but normalized, that we understand that it is not, you know, sort of the joints that, you know, people smoke back in high school or college or whatever, that it's a very, it's a very different world. Um, and, and I, you know, you often hear the sort of the prohibitionists talking about the potency but again, you know, as like potency compared to what it was, you know, like during the 60s. But if you say that to somebody that doesn't, that hasn't really studied all the products that are out there, that doesn't really, they don't really understand that there's other ways that you can be consuming THC um, that are very subtle. And anyway, I just think it's important for parents to, 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 to take the time to understand how, com how complex all of this is. Um, 
and I mean, that would be my, that would, that would be my, and, and, and then when it comes to just overall safety, like when I think about like CB, CBD, I, I think that it's so, it's just so crazy to me that, and granted, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but like, it's just kind of the wild west in terms of all of these CBD products that are just now everywhere. And I know the FDA has, they have done some enforcement on, you know, some really egregious health claims, but you know, nobody understands how to dose this stuff. No one understands what they should be looking for in a label. People don't understand that. So I think there's a, I think there's a great opportunity, frankly, for companies to kind of fill that uh, knowledge gap and help people understand, you know, what quality products really are and what they really do. And, but, um, you know, until we see some guidance from the federal government, it's on, on CBD, it's just, it, it's really hard to know what, works and what doesn't work and and if you should even be taking it with other i mean well they did come out i think it was last fall the fda issued some guidance around if people who were on um certain types of medications i believe it was liver medications like if you had liver issues that there are drug interactions with cbd that you need to be aware of but i mean like that's really important information and most people don't know that um even your most knowledgeable bud tender at a dispensary doesn't necessarily, they can maybe talk to you about different products and different strains, but they're not a pharmacist. So I just think it's important to understand like just kind of where the, um, where the gaps are, right? And, and, and be an advocate for yourself as a consumer, right? And just, just really make sure that if this is a, for yourself as a, either as a parent or for yourself as a consumer, that you read up on all of this stuff. That, Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's not taking position on whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's here. And we got to get educated. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to take a position. I'm going to say something controversial that, okay. um, you know, <laughs> which is great because it's my show and I'm allowed to. Yeah, so, it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> which is, I think, you know, there's good evidence about cannabis use for for people who are still young and their brains are still developing and there's potential for abuse and misuse and, and all that. And I want to say that is also true for adults and for people whose brains yes. have developed. And, you know, yes, to the point right. that, to the point that you made about, you know, CBD it being the wild west and being completely unregulated and we don't really know the science behind it to, to the extent that we really ought to in some ways. I think it's absolutely critical that if you're putting anything in your body, you should be well informed about, you know, the risks and 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 where it comes from and the safety. And unfortunately, in the cannabis world, consumers are so used to not having any transparency or selection or consumer protection that for most people, it's not even a consideration. So if you are consuming, you have a responsibility and really it's in your best interest to protect yourself, to get educated and get informed on what are you putting in your body? Who's the producer or supplier? Where's the product coming from? What are the risks? Because as much as uh, cannabis enthusiasts love to believe and maybe even pretend that the plant is harmless, that's simply not true. And there are risks associated with it and and too much of a good thing can easily become a bad thing so i, I want to say and, and not to be a narc 
people listening or watching at home. <laughs> Lord knows I've, I've had my fair share of cannabis, but the truth <laughs> of it is it's, it's critical to really know what are you getting yourself into and how is this affecting your chemistry and, and your health? Because I can guarantee you there is impact and this plant is, is, is powerful and versatile and there's a lot more about it that we don't understand than we do understand. So just keep that in mind. Okay, now that I'm off my pulpit, and I know we have a, a few minutes left, okay. so I'd love to do a quick coaching session, okay. and, and hopefully I can give you a good scoop or, or, or some kind of juicy semblance of a breakthrough. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to ask you, Heather, what is the biggest roadblock or challenge that you're facing right now, whether professionally, personally, or you know, what comes to mind for you? The biggest roadblock is, this is not gonna sound super original, it's just what everyone is facing right now. It's just, it's uncertainty. And it's a challenge of, like I am sure you can tell, like I am a go-getter, I, I take initiative, I'm very enterprising. But I do find sometimes with this world we're living in right now um, that it's hard, it, 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 you know, it's challenging sometimes to have the energy <laughs> to just, you know, is you just don't know what's going to happen. And, um, but I mean, I know I, I'm a very optimistic person. So I, I do get up in the morning and I get dressed and I do what I have to do. But um, sometimes it's hard to, to have, you know, as much energy as I would like to. So I guess that's what I'm struggling with. Got it. So I'm hearing that because of the uncertainty in, in the world, um, it's, it's been sapping your energy or it's hard to, to find the energy to be as enterprising as you would like. Is that right? Well, or just to like, if I give a hundred percent, you know, on a normal day or 150%, you know, like I'm just finding consistently, it's not always a hundred percent. Sometimes it's 99%, but it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's it's hard to I just feel like a lot of I hear this from a lot of people too like I'm tired by the end of the day like I'm really tired and I, I and I think some of it is some of the anxiety and some of the just the worry that's sort of always kind of back here you know because of this new world that we're in um so yeah you know and, and maybe advice on dealing with that to have to have more energy um try to and maybe, maybe it's maybe it's to accept that I that we, you know, that it's okay to not have that much energy right now. I don't know. <laughs> so what is this costing you? Uh, nothing really. I mean, I guess it's maybe sleep, maybe sleep, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm, I think I'm low, I have a little bit of, you know, an energy uh, drop off because I'm, you know, not sleeping as well. Um, what is it costing me? Um, I'm maybe not as productive some days as I would like to be, but it hasn't, it's not to a point where, you know, it's really heavily affecting like my output. Um, it's just that sometimes it takes me a little longer to get motivated to do something, you know, something that I would get up and do, you know, like when I was writing the book, you know, I was, I would write at 4.30 in the morning. So I would, I would get up, make my coffee because I had to do all that before my day started with, now it's weird because we're all home. 
get up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning and I have so many things and ideas and things I want to do and I don't always, I don't always, I rarely do that now. I don't know. <laughs> I might be on help. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So you, you did cut out for a second with, the, with mm. the, the tech. So what I heard is that, you know, when you were working on the book before pandemic, when there was maybe more free time, maybe more quiet time, you felt like you were more productive and more energized in doing, in, in doing your work. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a couple of things that come to mind, which is one, it sounds like it's not a huge problem for you right now. It sounds like the output is still okay. And even if things are taking longer, you know, the fact of the matter is, I'm guessing there's a lot more distractions, ironically, because everyone's home and we're all yeah. kind of a little bound up, if you will. So I think, I think you were correct with your intuition about maybe just accepting that I'm a little more tired or I'm a little less energized or, you know, both and whatever. And I think as far as the uncertainty, it's interesting because I would argue that there's pretty much just as much uncertainty in the world as there's always have been. And it, it certainly feels like things are very unclear because now it's like really impossible to imagine, well, what's gonna, what's the world gonna look like a year from now? Who's gonna be the president? Are schools gonna be open? Are we gonna be working from home? What is it, you know, there's a million questions and I totally get that. And I think everyone is probably sitting with that right now. The fact of the matter, though, my opinion, I shouldn't say this is the fact of the matter, that this is my opinion, my take, is that we just feel less certain because the uncertainty is so in our face right now. But the reality is, you know, if we look at what's in our control versus what's out of our control, I don't think that ratio has really shifted so much. It's just we have to think about all of these extra things that we didn't, we're not used to thinking about. And mm -hmm. now we have these things that were so certain, and I, I, I use the air quotes because seemingly certain and not actually certain, you know, now we have to wonder about schools and the workplace and travel and commuting, and, and it feels much more uncertain. The reality is we still have 24 hours in a day and we still do what we can. And the majority of everything is beyond our control. So mm -hmm. I've found that, you know, and I'm going to share something that my therapist said to me, which I thought was so like, duh, but it was helpful for me when I, I, I was like complaining to her about, hey, why am I tired after a long day's work? Like I used to not get tired and I was like, am I getting old? And she said, Michael, you're supposed to be tired after a long day's work. That means you worked. <laughs> and I was just like, but, but, you know, for me, I, as a high achiever, as in someone who's really ambitious, I'm always like, no, I, I got to do more. I got to do more. Why am I tired? I, I should be excited. And so I, it occurred to me that I had these expectations that weren't really serving me. And, and what, what, helped me was was shifting the story and realizing that 
oh, you know, actually this is okay. And again, that, mm -hmm. that acceptance piece of, okay, mm -hmm. so this is what it is right now. It's not, you know, it was giving up the judgment of this is good or this is bad and just, it is what it is. And that's okay. And I'm okay. And I'm going to go on with my day and maybe it'll change. Maybe it won't. Who knows? So I don't know. That's, that's what I got for you. And I'm curious, Thank you. how does that land? I think it's good. No, you're right. I mean, it's you, I am, I am an intuitive person. So, you know, I, one of my challenges to listen is to listen to my intuition. And, and so uh, it's, it's interesting that you picked up on that because sometimes I don't listen to my intuition. And that, that is kind of what it's saying to me is what you're saying, which is just that the uncertainty that we always have in life isn't, that hasn't changed. That's true. That's true. Life is uncertain. And before all of this happened, you know, whether it was through meditation or yoga or whatever things that I do, that was, that's always something that I think, well, I think many humans grapple with it, but I certainly grapple with it. And this idea of like patience versus persistence and dealing with this idea of that you can't control everything and, you know, finding ways to kind of quiet the mind so that um, you can make space and find peace for yourself. So I think that's, and I did a lot of work like that actually while I was writing the book because I didn't know how the book was going to end. I wasn't quite sure it was gonna happen with all these characters. I wasn't sure if I was gonna be able to get it done. So I think that's an interesting point that you make, which is true, that things have always been uncertain. This is just the latest uncertainty that we have. But like, you're right, there's still 24 hours in a day and, and being okay, you know, being okay with, uh, you know, being tired. <laughs> Stress and anxiety, those kinds of things, they, you know, they, they do tire you out. And I, you know, and being productive is also, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, if, as you said, if you are, as your therapist told you, if you are productive, of course you're going to be tired. So that makes sense. That's good. Thank you. So my pleasure. And I, I want to get you out of here on time. So I'm going to give you yeah. the, the really, I'm going to give you the extracted concentrated version okay. of, of what I otherwise would have taken a little more time to dig into. Which okay. Is okay. Two, two things I have for you. One is, okay. you know, I, I'm curious if you've been sticking to, you know, your yoga and meditation and all those kind of mindfulness and self-care practices, how consistent you've been with all that stuff lately. Um, mm -hmm. Because I, you know, I, I find for myself that usually when, when those, those things, and this is something that I talk about a lot for entrepreneurs is that's usually the first thing to go when we, yeah. when we were overwhelmed or when we're stretching ourselves and, that's like usually the first thing to go. And also I believe one of the costliest things that we can, we can get rid of. So I, you don't have to answer me, but I'd be curious if that's something that you've been giving the due time for lately. And then my second thought was you, you kind of went there on your own, but I, I, I normally I would ask you, what's a time that you've dealt with uncertainty really well and, and, prevailed. And it sounds like this book was an experience in that. So I would yeah. encourage you to really think about what are some times and maybe even 10 minute stream of consciousness writing about it of what are some times that you've dealt with uncertainty and things turned out okay. And maybe reminding yourself of, of those 
past experiences, successfully managing and navigating uncertainty and still being okay is, is something that would help uh, unlock a greater sense of calm or peace with the current uncertainty, which is certainly as uncertain or maybe not as the last uncertainty. I don't know. So uh, what, what do you think of that? I think you're spot on. I haven't been doing my yoga. Um, my, my big thing is I, you know, I do exercise pretty much every day. So I separate, like, so my sister's actually yoga instructor and she calls yoga a work in, not a workout. So I do my workouts, but I don't always do my work ins. So that, and my husband actually says to me last week, and he was like, you're not, you're not doing yoga anymore. There's a class I used to do on Sunday. He said, why aren't you doing the class? And I just got busy. So put it back on my schedule. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Well, I, I want to get you out of here on time. Thank you. I just want to ask you, you if you have any final message or parting words uh, for the folks who might be watching or listening. Um, just to say that it's, it's just, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. And um, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And also just to let people know that while we talked about a lot of serious topics related to cannabis, that the book is very much written like a novel. Um, and with it, it, you know, and the reviews of it so far, I've called it a page turner. It's, it's just a fun read and that's what I wanted it to be. I found the material to be really engaging. And um, so at this time of our lives right now where you know, there's a lot of news, it's just kind of nice to take a break and kick back with an escape. And I hope, I hope people will see the new Chardonnay as an escape and you know, a fun summer read just to dive into and, and maybe just kind of mellow out for a little while um, and just go on an adventure. Awesome. Well, Heather, thank you so much. I don't want to hold up the book and tell folks you could get it on thank Amazon. You. And from what Anyone I've read of it, old. yeah, wonderful. From from what I've read of it, I will say that I, I was actually like a little jealous. I was like, damn, I wish I could write this well because it was so captivating and engaging. And honestly, like for me, like none of this is very new. And I was still engaged and, and wanted to read more. And I think cannabis and the cannabis industry and what's happening right now with the whole movement, it is just naturally fascinating. But to tell those stories and to, to capture that intrigue and mystique of it is just so challenging. And I, I want to commend you because I think you nailed it and did a great job of, 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 capturing that and telling the story in a way that was really really mesmerizing so oh, kudos to you, you. Yeah. thank you so much that means a lot because i was really writing for people who don't know anything about cannabis so i kept thinking like for everyone who's reading this it's just like old hat and i wasn't sure if it would be boring because you already know about all these characters and so um that means so much to me thank you so much thank you for for putting your time and effort into making this book and hopefully it'll educate a lot of people and challenge the stigma and undo the stigma so thank you so much heather have a wonderful thank day thank you hi mike z is hi mike z is hi mike z is the cannabis business coach hi mike z is hi mike z is hi mike z is the cannabis business coach